Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have an awesome show lined up for you as we welcome back George Danner, CEO, MIT mathematician and data science expert, a sought-after keynote speaker on AI and other technology topics, and a published author of two best-selling technology books. George, welcome back. Uh, We knew it wouldn't take too long to get you back in front of the microphone, and our, our topic today is ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance a set of standards for a company's operations. However, today we thought we'd talk specifically about ESG and energy transition and how the two domains are connected and why they're important to your company. So George, let's kick it off. Uh, Why don't you just uh, say hello to everybody? And if there's anything I missed on your background, share that. And then let's just dive right into this. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. And and John, thank you for inviting me back. I guess it's this is pinball theory, right? The reward for playing a good pinball game is you, you get to play it again. Well, uh, John, it's a great topic to talk about. It's really kind of on the minds of everyone, uh, particularly those in the industrial world who run refineries and chemical plants, manufacturing facilities, factories, etc. They're all looking for ways to improve their operations. Now, it used to be, well, just make everything better, faster, cheaper, year on year. And we worked very hard, those of us in the industrial world, we worked very hard to, to make that, that happen. We did that through metrics. We did that through lean principles. We did that through a focus on process. There's a number of things, technology, that we brought to bear on this, this idea of making things better, faster, cheaper. Well, guess what? Today, that's not good enough. Not only do you have to make things better, faster, cheaper, you essentially have to make things greener. A number of companies, now we sit here in Houston, John, so... A number of companies here, oil companies, have declared that they will be uh, net neutral, net carbon neutral by uh, 2050, some with different timeframes and so forth. But all of them are seeking to make a statement around their, their energy transition to other fuels. This really pertains kind of to the E in ESG, although the S and the G are important as well. The first and biggest job to tackle is the E side of that, ESG, environmental. So what are we doing environmentally? How how can we make a company that's decarbonized, that has a reduced carbon footprint? That's a really complicated question because you've got these facilities that are very sophisticated. They have a number of process units, a number of steps to them. And how do you essentially rewire all of that complexity, all that expensive infrastructure to be more carbon friendly, if you will? That's a that's a big question. And I think we're going to get to it in the podcast today. I'll give you my initial reaction to that answer, which is that it, it involves technology. I mean, almost any of our efforts these days to solve any really hard problem, really complex and costly problem, is going to come through the leverage of technology. There are two particular technology classes that I think are appropriate. There's digital twins, which we talked about in our first podcast, and there's automation, a related subject. These comprise part of the technology suite that's going to allow a company 
like those that are making these declarations, to get to a point where they decarbonize their production networks. There are other technologies involved as well. So, John, over the course of this discussion, we're going to kind of merge the words energy transition and ESG almost like they're one and the same. I do recognize that there's there's significant overlap. They're not exactly the same. But I think for the purposes of, of our discussion today, we can almost use those interchangeably because those steps that you would do toward an energy transition goal, pretty much those same steps that you would apply when you're trying to improve your ESG posture. Now, I think the motivation behind all of this sort of newfound interest in ESG energy transition is is not necessarily altruistic. I'd like to think that companies always like to be good companies, but the economic motivation that's there is lower cost of capital. Essentially, institutional investors have said, we're not going to invest in you, company X, Y, or Z, unless you have a certain ESG track record. Now, you can agree with that stance or disagree with that stance. It doesn't really matter whether you agree or disagree. Strong ESG principles and adopting those are not going to be optional for companies going forward. That's kind of the broad overview, I think, John. Well, George, I have a question. You know, you Please. point. You pointed towards institutional investors paying attention to this this category, ESG, sustainability. I saw this quote the other day in an article, Evan Harvey, who is the global head of sustainability for NASDAQ. He said, uh, getting executives and board members to look at ESG as an integrated business function is crucial. So much ESG data is traditionally based on past performance and not forward-looking the more real-time you can get with your data, the better able you are to forecast where your company needs to go. So uh, does that trigger any ideas and thoughts of examples that you can think of where applying this new digital technology will yield benefits in this area? You know, I'll kind of answer the converse of the question, Bill, which is sort of where not to lead. And I have had a chance to talk to a lot of companies that are that are engaging in these sort of strong serious ESG programs. And unfortunately, where they where they tend to gravitate toward is the reporting side, you know, reporting ESG metrics out to shareholders, let's say, or reporting to other investors if they happen to be a private company. I think reporting is important. It's essential, of course, but I think to focus strictly on reporting kind of misses the point. The point is really threefold. It's collecting data, as you alluded to, it's then analyzing that data, then it's reporting the data. And then on top of that, there's a feedback loop here. But let me let me start with the, the first piece, which is collecting the data. Yes, IoT devices out in the field are part of the answer here to, to collect sensor data. There's other forms of data that that pertain to the the ESG posture, but that's a that's a non-trivial amount of work, Bill, to just collect the data, and and companies some sometimes struggle with that. Then we move over to the analyzing that data that has been collected. It's rare that the data that the raw data that has been collected is is actually useful. Most of the time, it has to be calculated and analyzed, and trended, and so forth. So there's an analysis step that that has to take take place. And then that analyzed data then finds its way into a proper data repository. You know, think of a database. These days, it's more like a data lake or a data warehouse. Doesn't matter. It's the idea of taking all of this data, 
that you're collecting and putting it into a place where it can be recalled in a systematic fashion. Now, the feedback loop that I alluded to is, well, it's kind of useless to collect this data, analyze it, and never do anything about it. Real forward-thinking companies are engaging in steps to actually reduce their carbon footprint. So if my measure is X, how do I get to 0.9X, 0.8X, 0.6X, and so on, year on year? So what I've observed is companies are going out and retooling their assets. I, I happen to know one refiner that's, you know, looking very closely at all of its all of its inbound materials and looking at a way to introduce those materials without burning hydrocarbons and in some cases using green power as necessary to do that. That's an example of, you know, possibly hundreds of interventions that a company can do based on the data that they see and then drive that back into the real world activity. So a good way to think about this for our audience here, Bill, is as a feedback loop. You're collecting the data, you're analyzing the data, but then you're closing that loop by actually performing interventions that make the next cycle even better. If you're not engaging in this kind of feedback loop, you're really only reporting, and that's that's not going to get you anywhere. And a final thing I'll, I'll mention, it, there is yet another sort of feedback loop on top of that feedback loop, which is what I'll call the self-funding loop. Oftentimes, when we harness these interventions to improve our carbon footprint, those are also cost-saving measures at the same time, or risk-lowering measures, or revenue-enhancing measures. So if we can get better carbon footprint and value at the same time, that's the, the pinnacle of what we want to strive for. And if, in fact, these systems, these, these interventions generate cash effectively, we could essentially earmark that cash for more interventions. Okay, now you've created a reinforcing loop that is a very powerful weapon that, again, moment on moment, you're doing more and more and more of these interventions. You're funding more and more and more of these interventions at almost at a ca cash neutral kind of basis. So that's really what we're striving for here, Bill. So George, what I understand now is that the majority of companies out there are focused on the reporting aspect of this and they're gathering data and they're culling it up and they're getting it up to dashboards or reporting tools in some capacity. And it is telling people, okay, here's where we are. But you mentioned that there's a, a doing portion to this as well. And, and obviously there has to be a technology component that allows that to happen. So I'm guessing where we're going here is the digital twin. Am I right? Well, I think so, because I'm looking at all this retooling work that needs to be done. Let's say, John, you owned a refinery and that refinery produces lots of products, uh, diesel fuel, uh, gasoline, and so forth. You run that refinery, you've been running it a long time. It's economically successful. Good for you. Now you're thinking about how can I reduce the carbon footprint of that refinery? There's all sorts of units that you within that refinery that you could open up and examine and say, well, what would happen if we, you know, we changed the steam reforming process to something different? What would happen if we used green power in this area of that refinery or not? 
what would happen if we used rail instead of truck? Uh, there's there's hundreds of, of interventions that are possible. Well, my guess is that you as an owner of that refinery aren't going to just start, start writing blank checks to anyone and everyone to start retooling your refinery. You're going to want good, hard evidence that these interventions are going to work. They're going to actually make money for me, that the time frame of their, their use and how disruptive they are to current operations. I mean, you're going to have all those kind of questions. Therefore, when we are confronted with an uncertainty like that, our typical response to that uncertainty is, well, let's build a digital twin. Let's build a simulation replica of that refinery, and let's test several different forms of those interventions and see how they work. Maybe let's test a couple of different ones in concert. The fact of the matter is, this is all new to everyone, this fundamental retooling that's going to go on for the next probably two decades. This is all new. They're not subject matter experts just lying around with 30 years of experience in decarbonization. There just aren't. So we have to face that uncertainty by creating these simulation replicas. So a digital twin is the sort of the one-two punch of understanding how to decarbonize. The the second part of that one-two punch is automation. So once you have your new design, your new retooling, automating that, reducing the labor content of that is part of the S in ESG. Now, S stands for social, but the longest running social compact we have in the history of the world is safety. It's the idea that as the owner of the factory, you come to work for me as a worker and I'm and you're going to return home to your family in in the evening safe without you know having your limbs broken or your fingers cut off. I'm going to return you safely to your family. That's a that's a a sort of a given social compact. So to me, whenever I see that S in ESG, I think safety. So how can we automate certain dangerous parts of the process, keep people out of compromised areas of our factories or refineries or chemical plants? How can we start to move those people out of those areas and replace them with machines that can do inspection work or do measurements and these kinds of things and and keep our people safe? Well, George, I just want to kind of shift topics here and just talk about value drivers. In your mind, what are the key value drivers for applying uh, digital transformation technologies for ESG sustainability reporting energy transformation? You know, if companies consider investing in some digital innovation in this arena, they'll need to justify the investment. You know, what stands out in your mind as the key value drivers and how do you monetize them? It's it's a tough road there, Bill. going to be completely transparent with our audience here. Uh, ROI for some of these ESG and energy transition related projects is a tough thing to put your finger on. Does it mean we can't calculate it? No, but it does rely on some indirect benefits. One of those indirect benefits I mentioned just a moment ago with the, the cost of capital, but correlating the exact reduction in cost of capital with an actual ESG or energy transition project is going to be difficult. So the the programs that we see out there now are justified, generally speaking, based on strategy and a belief that we need to make this company a more energy versatile kind of company. And we need to be beholden to some of these uh, ESG guidelines that have come out. So they've kind of set aside 
ROI for the moment in lieu of the goals of some of these, these ESG programs. Uh, so it's a, it's a difficult thing. And it's especially difficult, Bill, because it's so early days that we don't have a ton of historical data for any company that has been taking this journey for three decades. It just has not happened yet. So the data will come, but it's going to come in the future for us to make these ROI calculations. About the best thing that we can do in the interim is to collect that data and house it in a good repository so that in the future, as we have probably better ROI models, better value models for doing this kind of work, then we'll see uh, clearer justifications. Now, I should also say that a lot of the activity that is going on in this area is going on in Europe. Why is that? Well, they happen to have a carbon tax. We don't have a carbon tax in the US. And economists have debated the value of a carbon tax. And I'm, not, I'm going to try very hard not to get political here, but economists have looked at a carbon where there should there should be a carbon tax in the US and you know where there should be public policy around that. I don't know if there will be, but I, I can say that if there is a carbon tax and if there are carbon credits that lay against that carbon tax, that is going to change the economics of doing some of these projects. Yes, it certainly would. That would be huge and a big value driver. But I agree with you, George. It's it's tough uh, with some of these innovations to be very precise in the returns. And I, you know, I hearken back to years in the past. What's it cost to put in a computer network in my factory? How do I justify that? Or how do I justify switching from uh, one email client to to something new that's that's better. That's a real challenge to to compute a return on investment, and sometimes it, it just becomes a, a strategic goal in a broader context. Yeah, and it, and and a lot of it, Bill, is basically future proofing. So some of the companies that I talk to say, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. But you know what? I'm not going to just sort of sit still until the regulators sort of drag me in this direction. I'm going to try to get ahead of this thing and control my own destiny by reducing my carbon footprint. And maybe, just maybe, as an industry, that might prevent over-regulation, an over-regulatory burden that would come if industries don't sort of clean up their own act, if you will. Yeah. Wow, George. I can absolutely see how AI and digital twins used in this particular manner to improve ESG way beyond just reporting, that absolutely doesn't suck. Having George back here to be the first two-time don't suck guest, that absolutely doesn't suck. Taking technology way past basic ESG reporting doesn't suck at all either, George. And using digital twins and AI technology to simulate some of the interventions required to produce the goal reduction criteria that provides actual improvement, George, for these companies, that doesn't suck. George, people listen to you, they're going to want to know where to get in touch with you, how to follow back up if there's any interest in learning more about this topic. So, Tell us, George, how, how do people find you? Where are you located out there online? Let's get let's give them some information so they can keep up and catch up with you. <laughs> well, I, I, for better or worse, I'm kind of all over the internet. You can just Google <laughs> my name, George Danner. That will lead you to the two books that I that I wrote that are available at a lot of different bookstores online and otherwise. You can go to my company, Business Laboratory, www.business dash laboratory.com. My personal website where I do many of my speaking engagements and so forth is 
www.georgedanner.com. I think you can't get away from me because I'm all over the internet. (laughs) I'm a digital twin. Well, we want to say thank you for joining us today. ESG is a topic that everyone's talking about right now. And I have a sense that we're probably going to dovetail this with some other areas and not just specifically E going forward. So I can already see a return engagement. Bill, what would you add to this before we close it out? No, I would just say, uh, yes, uh, George is a digital twin. (laughs) Well played. Well, thanks, George, to you. Thanks to all of our Don't Suck family listeners out there for joining us. And uh, since we are all in Texas, from Texas, we'll say that is a wrap, baby.